Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. No my haeramai, kia ora, and welcome to Books and Beyond. This is your host, Alison, and I'm joined in the studio today by the artist, educator, researcher, videographer and author, Dr. Bobby Hung, who's also known as Burst. So, kia ora, Bobby. Kia ora, Alison. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show today. Now, we're um, on the back of a great event last night. Um, we had a big crowd at the Central City Library in Auckland for the launch of your new book, which is called Burst Draws. Um, congratulations thank, on that. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, it was a good good turnout. and It was yeah, great. Thanks for coming. Yeah, it was a really great crowd. Wasn't it? And it was lovely um, to see fellow artists Mm. um, coming along to support you as well. Bobby, can you tell us a little bit more about the book? Yeah, absolutely. So the book itself uh, was published quite recently, literally within the last month. Yeah. Uh, But it's actually a culmination of 80 hand drawn illustrations um, that I started since 2014 all the way to 2020. So it's a. Yeah, it's, a, it's been a slow kind of grind to get these illustrations completed. Uh, but actually, at the beginning, I never planned to publish a book. But mm-hmm. it was um, actually at the beginning of this year, I was fortunate enough to uh, be given a dissemination grant from Unitech, and oh. that enabled me to to kind of bring this book to life. And so, yeah, the the illustration book it features four key series of works. Uh, one which kind of deals with uh, visual culture from my childhood, mm. uh, which is predominantly kind of influenced by comic books and cartoons. Uh, the second series is more to do with Maori mythologies and Pacific stories. Uh, it's not replicating those kind of uh, that aesthetic or the stories itself, but using that as a starting point to uh, position my identity within New Zealand as a Chinese person. Mm. And the third series. Uh, of illustrations kind of deals with more of a social activist um, type of discourse of art which it, which addresses um, anti-whaling mm. of, of all kind of themes. Yeah. Um, and then last, the fourth one, which is possibly the most important and prominent uh, within my, my artistic career is graffiti. So that's mm. kind of a series of uh, concept drawings and sketches. And so everything that's in this book uh, over the past couple of years has... Uh, being used as, I guess, concept drawings or studies for when I paint more large-scale works in public spaces. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, so they're they're almost like a, a blueprint for, for something that would go on a, a public wall. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Every, everything that I've kind of painted uh, in public spaces... The, these are all the thing, all the planning, you know, oh, that I've right. done kind of in advance of that. So... But however, there is a combination of freestyled kind of work that I do out there. But uh, there's been many, many iterations, you know, of, of drawing before I kind of get to the final oh, stage. Right. Before you do the the real thing. Do the real thing. The, yeah. <laughs> and um, the book's had a, a limited print run. So it's really going to be quite a collector's item, isn't it? Absolutely. I've, I've actually been quite surprised at the... Um, 
at the level in the level of interest, I guess, mm. of the books. And I only have about thirty copies left. Oh, heavens! Out of yes. hundred and fifty. So, oh, um, yeah. considering the book launch was last night, and I, I took a bunch of pre-orders on on my web store yeah. uh, beforehand as well. So, yeah, there's only thirty. 30 copies left and, and I'm also doing a graffiti battle on Saturday so I'm, I'm going to be bringing some copies there and and so that kind of re- is reaching the community that yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get to, uh, get the books to so yeah, might oh, be gone by Saturday yeah, I don't they know. they probably will be gone, gone by lunchtime <laughs> on Saturday, won't they? Now, um, I wanted to ask you about your artistic name, which is Spurst um, in my um, Kiwi accent. It's uh, funny. It's a hard one to say, but I wanted to ask you how you how you got that name. Yeah, absolutely. So, one of the things that I mentioned last night, uh, w- which was also one of these questions, mm-hmm. is how I kind of came up with the name Burst. But unfortunately, I don't have you know some crazy story of <laughs> how this kind of name came about. However, uh, what I do think is important to note within the kind of graffiti world is is what the name symbolizes Mm. and so one of the things that for me when I first started graffiti when uh during my high school years I think it was in form six Mm. I think that's kind of when I started or year 11 um I was not really good at something academic or good at sports Mm. and and so I didn't feel like I fit into the boxes, I guess, of mm. of achievement at, at high school. And um, so I guess you could say that my, yeah, self-worth and confidence and, you know, whatever affirmation of whatever in this in society is was quite limited at the time. Mm. And so for whatever reason, having this name and, and pu- putting it in public spaces and having my friends, you know, give me... Uh, affirmation, you know, props, you know, bigging me yeah. up saying, oh, wow, Bobby, you're famous, you know, even though it might just be on, you know, the the road to school, you know, and then my name was everywhere. Mm. That that would give me the affirmation and um, of being accepted. Sounds really validating. It's a psychological it's, thing. Yeah. It's a very psychological thing. And um, so whenever I go and paint my name burst, I feel like I'm someone else, mm. you know. Mm. It's it's almost like a form of acting, you know. Yes. And, and when I'm painting in public spaces and people are, are looking at me painting, uh, it's almost like I'm doing a performance. Performance art, you know? yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite a weird, um, what's the word, when you, as an exhibitionist, you know, when you like <laughs> people kind of watching you do mm. stuff. And, um, yeah, so I, I think it's it's more the symbolic kind of nature mm. of what the word means to me and, and yeah. the identity that or the hat that I put on or the person that I become yeah um, when you w- when, when you I'm burst. in that when I'm burst you know yeah. it, it's quite a different person than than Bobby yes because you um, walk in a number of worlds really don't mm. you Bobby and one of them is academia um, so I guess that's a different person persona again isn't it <laughs> Entirely different, yeah. entirely different, and and how I, I do think that the, the these kind of worlds of you know the formal and informal they are starting to blur for me, and I am trying to merge them together. Mm. Um, but definitely at the very beginning, you know, I kept them quite separate. Yeah, and and you know that's a psychological thing, but also I think on a practical level, even when I studied uh, visual arts, so I studied painting for four years. Mm. Uh, in a studio fine arts kind of context, 
Uh, I was always painting graffiti during that time, but it was also quite you know difficult to merge them together because I saw graffiti as this rebellious you know, anti-establishment, mm. you know, anti-authoritative kind of thing, uh, as well as it's kind of aesthetic. Um, and then, obviously, what I'm doing in fine arts, I was actually painting portraits and landscapes. Mm. <laughs> so Which it is was quite establishment, really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Well, yes. it's, it's falling into the conventional kind of, yeah. you know, fine arts um, subject matter. But, yeah, there was always a tension for me, like, on a practical level mm. between those two things. Uh, and then eventually the kind of... Um, epiphany moment of well actually I could bring this into this Mm. fine arts world Um, it might not be accepted in the fine arts world but there's things that I just need to work towards legitimating what I'm doing such as doing things like a book launch you know there's other avenues to to find entry into different kind of spaces yeah Wow, what a journey. Um, Now, I was wondering if you could tell us um, the difference between graffiti and street art. Yeah, that's a really interesting... um, Those are two interesting definitions, and I think often they get misconstrued. Like, Mm. there's... uh, There is understanding about those two things, but I also think there's a lot of uh, social kind of stereotypes to those two things as well. So, at the heart of graffiti, what it is is vandalism, lettering, uh, painting outdoors, you know, and writing your name. There's mm-hmm. a very uh, specific focus on on get this notion of getting up, you know, putting your name everywhere and being visible, being seen. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's done illegally or with, you know, with permission, but there is a, a specific focus on the aesthetic of lettering. Now, this is a art movement that was established in the 1960s, late 1960s in New York, right. as, as a as a kind of movement of uh, of style writing. Okay, um, that's the kind of term that they called it mm. then. Um, whereas something like street art is something that over the past, I'd say, 20 years, has become a little more prominent in the mainstream. Yeah, yeah, and typically in terms of the aesthetic. Or, or subject matter of what you would see, it's it's usually more figurative. Uh, it's more kind of associated to stuff that you might see in you know typical fine art, but you're seeing it in public spaces, right? And so, there is the the definition also of street art is much broader uh, because p- the entry point into this kind of movement is is much more diverse. You know, somebody oh. might that decides to paint street art might be an illustrator that, that, that's their background or they might be a commercial you know artist or a studio artist or um or graphic designer even who's right. interested in typography and then suddenly you know somebody that's had a you know 30-year career in illustration might suddenly decide to do their first mural and then people will call that street art oh you know I but see. then they're yes. not necessarily a street artist yeah. or had a street art practice whereas the world of graffiti People typically go cycle through the different stages of I'll start off with a tag, do some bombing on the street, paint a train, paint onto the train tracks, climb on a rooftop and and paint a big piece or, you know, there's, I guess, a typical kind of... um, Sort of like a progression or something. Yeah, progression that people go through, whereas within the street art world, it's literally, you know, they could have an entry point into painting public murals 
anywhere. From in, yeah. Yeah, so oh, that there's an interesting kind of dynamic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. And um, we know that, um, I guess, graffiti and, and street art are um, uh, forms of expression that often communicate sort of a political statement. And I'm, so I'm just thinking about 2020, which we know has been... Um, well, you know, really 2020. Um, and, you know, we've had those huge uprisings for social change around the world. Do you think that um, this, the scene has changed this year? So street art, graffiti, beca- yeah, because of the of yeah, the year I mean, we've had? There's been some, it's been a chaotic year, obviously. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's COVID, but also I think for me the most notable probably uh, in terms of, you know, political kind of expression uh, has been, you know, what's been happening in the US. With the Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, the elections. And, and, you know, with with America being the kind of birthplace of of graffiti, at least. Oh, yeah. uh, At least what I've seen in, in my news feed, you know, through social media and things, you know, Graffiti and street art has been used as a very powerful kind of platform for expressing, you know, people's views and things. So, there, things definitely have ramped up overseas in America, at least mm-hmm. from all the artists and things that I've seen. But I feel like New Zealand is a, um, it's quite a conservative, you know, relatively mm-hmm. safe place. You know, like we're not seeing artists going out there, you know, doing a lot of political messaging. You know, I think that what happens in New Zealand generally with graffiti and street art is that we're still at the stage of just writing our name, Mm. uh, which might seem like quite a primitive Mm. thing. And also in terms of like street art, um, the medium of street art is used really to beautify spaces. Oh, yes. You know, it's, it's not like creating an artwork that's like controversial or mm. something. It's it's more about using street art or murals to activate spaces and make it more beautiful. Um, whereas I think in in US and yeah. places like South America, the what they're painting over there is quite different. The right. the discourse of practice. So yeah, I think there's interesting parallels, but I think that um I, I would actually like to see more you know, mm. controversial political things here in New Zealand, yeah. you know, get, get people talking and, and spark a conversation, you know. Absolutely. And I think that that's probably why people like Banksy is so big because what he does speaks to such a global yes. audience, you know, and, yeah, so I would yes. love to see more of that in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's interesting. And I guess um, what you're saying about often um, street arts used to, perhaps beautify or activate spaces here. It it's probably is a reflection of the relative freedom that we have. Absolutely, and that's a positive stability. thing. Yeah. yeah. That's not yeah, I'm not saying so, that's a negative thing. So Yeah, so I mean it's a it's a good thing that we do have that, isn't it? Now I've um often heard the expression old school graffiti and I was wondering if you could tell us what the difference between old school and new school graffiti is. Yeah, absolutely. So when I think about old school, you know, at, at the heart of it, I'm, I'm probably talking about early graffiti since the late 1960s where people started painting on trains. Yes, you know, the side of trains, was Yeah, it? on the side yeah. of trains. And I think it's important to note why they did that. Oh. Yeah, so you've got to rem- know that this kind of idea of graffiti, this it's an art movement. Mm. It's created by teenagers. <laughs> 
mm. teenagers that, do, that have been marginalized yep. and don't have a voice and have not come from, you know, an artistic background. No one's had formal art training. So nothing else in history has ever been created by teenagers yeah. who haven't had, you know, the resources and everything to yeah. do that. And so from that point, they painted their name on the sides of the subway cars in New York. And back then, all of their, all of the trains would go all city. And so for them, it was like maximum fame oh, like and notoriety. Move, yeah, like a moving billboard sort of exactly thing. Exactly right. right. It was advertising their name. Uh, so it's almost like for a person that has no voice, yeah. to see their name running through the whole of the city, the whole city will know their name. And it would go through rich suburbs. Exactly right. Areas. Exactly right. Yeah. And so this notion of old school uh, and painting a train, that is a, that is an ideology, I guess, that has transcended the decades and still exists oh, till yes. now. And there are people that are like, you know, extremist kind of like graffiti people uh, that, you know, particularly in Europe, that's probably the biggest scene, I think, for painting trains. Uh, it's, it's a really big thing over there. Um, where writing your name on a train is still considered the the ethos, you know, of right. graffiti. Sort of the ultimate. The ultimate, thing. you know, mm. thing to be able to do. Uh, but then also um, I think what has happened, you know, in terms of the new school is that we are starting to, maybe not the new school, but maybe like future progressive kind of thinking, is that a lot of people that have kind of uh, entered graffiti um, like in 2020 – they're not necessarily they don't share necessarily the same values as as the that as the ideas that were established in the 60s mm. we've kind of moved away from that a little bit and i guess that's also the discursive work that i'm trying to do that yes you can go out there and tag and follow you know all of the kind of traditional things that everybody does and paint a train and uh, but there are also other things and for me to achieve and and so for me i think um it's, it's also about bringing in different interests, you know, like I'm interested in drawing. So I'm, I'm trying to merge drawing and painting, you know, mm. graffiti together and, and work in public spaces and, and infiltrate different spaces for putting my work. It doesn't have to just go on a wall, you know. And, and I know people in New Zealand, some graffiti artists that are making graffiti sculptures. Yeah. You know, and, and I want to learn 3D, kind of, yeah. yeah. And um, wow. there's this one person, um, his name is Levi Hawkin. Um, he's he's the guy that coined the term neck minute. Oh yes, yeah. I've got, and you recognise the name. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's 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 on an oh. incredible journey at the moment. His background's in in graffiti, but also landscaping, and so he knows how to manipulate concrete. And he's been building concrete sculptures, and rather than painting on the wall and then people painting it out, mm. he's installing uh, concrete uh, embossed kind of pieces onto spaces. And people can't rip them off. Oh, people can't paint wow. them off. So there's a permanence to what he's yes. doing. So he's rethinking how his work can challenge the ephemerality of graffiti. You know, so there's lots of interesting things, I think, that are, that are you know, we're still maintaining the traditions of the old school, yeah. but also we're bringing it forward and pushing it to new spaces. Yeah. yeah that's oh, that's wow. what gets me kind of excited. Yeah. And look, speaking of that sort of impermanent nature of um, a lot of street art and that ephemerality of yeah. it, um, how do how do we document or, or archive these memories? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, one of the things within the graffiti world is that a lot of graffiti writers are operating under the guise of the nighttime. Yeah. And some of the spaces they paint may or may not be uh, visible to the public. So sometimes there's people painting on the train tracks, but often the work gets maybe painted out the next day mm. or something like that. So graffiti artists are actually good at documenting their own work, but often it ends up just either on the Instagram and or, you know, they might print out the photos and then it ends up in their, you know, garage or something yeah. or in the attic. But for me, I think one of the things that's really important and I've actually been egging on a lot of graffiti artists to do is to work towards finding spaces where we can um, have a bit more legacy, you know, mm. for, for the future. Uh, for the future generation kind of coming up because one day, you know, Instagram might disappear. Yeah. You know, right. YouTube might, might di- Facebook might, di- you know. Plug. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, whatever people think is permanent online, you know, just it might just recycle to another kind of platform. So I've been working really hard with Auckland Library to, and yeah. the Heritage Collection to uh, deposit a lot of the video work and photos and audio work that that I've kind of documented over the past couple of years to treat the Auckland Library as kind of a repository, you know, with that has like longevity. And for me, that's really important because, yeah, there is a there is a huge untold story out there throughout the various decades of graffiti in New Zealand, uh, but it just hasn't um, kind of come to the surface. So yeah. over the next couple of years, I'm, I'm going to work really hard to to try to bring that to light and, and make it more visible because there's an incredible story there. Yeah, and we certainly don't want to lose those stories and, and that, that history yeah. of the movement. Yeah. So that sort of leads me on to art galleries, actually, because they're another place that stores memories of fine art, I guess. I wondered if you think we need to sort of change our thinking about what an art gallery actually is or whether we could have make outdoor spaces into art galleries yeah i mean for me i think a lot of people perceive art galleries especially younger people as something that is quite sterile yeah you walk into a white room there's a couple things on the wall you know it's uh it's not very accessible i think Mm. for for a young person uh, for me, the, I think one of the reasons why I have been particularly drawn to things like graffiti and street art and public art in general is the accessibility, accessible nature of of that work in that you don't have to be a person that's interested in art to engage in it. Mm. You can just see it and, you know, by default because of the, you know, context of where it is, you're forced to kind of engage with it in some way. And so for me... Um, I really think that the the art world does need a little bit of rethinking. Mm. However, um, the art world was also very hierarchical. Right. You know? So there's gatekeepers. And um, in, in a recent interview with one of my friends uh, from my crew, Saves, uh, Benjamin Work, he, he is also an artist that has come from the graffiti background and worked really hard to enter into this kind of fine arts Mm. world. And he was telling me a funny story that, you know, he's he's been painting for 25 years, like graffiti, Mm. uh, but he's only been on his fine art journey for maybe like six years. And he was telling me a story that when, you know, when he first kind of got into it, into the fine arts, that 
you know, he approached some gallery or something and he was telling the gallery, you know, oh, I've been painting for 25 years, graffiti, and basically that the gallery didn't care. Mm. You know, so because one of the things that happens when you paint graffiti, you're kind of in your own world and, like, you think you're a king and mm. whatever that kind of means. Um and you're accepted from your peers and you, you feel like you've paid your dues and you've done all of these things. But, yeah, the art world is quite different. So for me, I, I definitely feel like another thing that I've observed is actually that a lot of um, fine arts practitioners have started to see the potential of working in public spaces and the accessibility, you know, that their art could reach you know, how it could reach the audience. So I've actually started seeing, yeah, studio-based kind of artists working more in public spaces now. Yeah, so I think think there is a huge transition happening and I think in the next five or ten years you're going to see a lot more public art. Yeah, and that's got to be a good thing, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, because you're also an art educator and um, I was sort of thinking about the, the changing nature of, of art education and um, in I guess back in my day at school art would be learned with the aim of getting a permanent work on a wall in a gallery or something um, and oh and then of course selling it um, is, would it still be taught this way do you think? Yeah I mean I guess the nature of the creative industries you know in New Zealand it's a very small one um, however there are opportunities out there and I think that half the time it's actually learning how to create your own opportunities. So for me, when I'm kind of teaching art and design um, here at Unitech, I'm not really thinking about necessarily um, just giving students the skills to be able to enter into an art gallery. In fact, I would go against that. Mm. I would rather be able to equip them with the skills to be able to become self-employed and especially with the power of social media. Right. You know, yeah. there, there is no um, reason why you cannot link to any audience or community that you want to be involved in and work within those communities and create opportunities and seek funding and do all sorts of things. Uh, so I think that, you know, if you're if you're an aspiring artist, I actually don't think that going into uh, a, a gallery, you know, and being represented, you know, and then selling your work through that kind of uh, platform is is the only opportunity. Yes, there is a certain sense of legitimacy I think that comes with being represented by a gallery, uh, but I don't think that's the only option these days. I think there's yeah, there's so many possibilities, and I yeah. think. That's that's usually what I'm trying to get through to the students is that, you know, how transferable are your skills? You know, you know, even with my own journey, I've kind of gone down the road of teaching art and design, you know, working commercially or doing things in the community setting or, you know, tapping into the documentary aspect. Yeah. And so there's it's really vast, you know, and it depends on, you know, where you want to position your work. Yeah. So, and as we were saying before, twenty twenty and beyond, nothing's really, or you never really know if a job you might have today is going to even exist tomorrow, do you? Exactly right. So I think it's important to not put all your eggs one basket, and that's what I'm trying not to do. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I guess 
that notion of security is never really secure. No, you know, not so, these days. Yeah. yeah. So it's good to equip your, your students with those sort of skills too. Now, the other thing um, I just wanted to ask you sort of quite quickly about, they say that we live in uh, quite an image-saturated era. Um, and I wondered if, um, if if you think we do, what sort of effect that has on emerging artists? Well, I think speaking at least for the graffiti artists um, that has I agree with that point and, and it has shifted the nature of graffiti because when graffiti first started in New Zealand there was always a discussion about stylistic uh, inspirational influences within New Zealand and the progression of styles within graffiti was much more slower and also much more regional, meaning, you know, Auckland had a type of graffiti style, Wellington had a type of graffiti style, and, you know, Christchurch had a type of graffiti style. But definitely um, with the, you know, presence of the internet, you know, more specifically, Mm. um, we have seen more... uh, I guess, amorphous kind of forms of style and and things changing and evolving at at a more kind of rapid pace. Uh, And so styles and lineages, I guess, of styles has become more difficult to decipher because, you know, a a person that might have developed some work, you know, spent 20 years working on that, you know, developing that aesthetical concept uh, in New York, um, you know, and, you know, a kid might pick that up, you know, the next day and then use it and then jump onto something else the next day. So it's everywhere. Oh, look, thank you so much, um, Bobby, for being with us today. Um, I hate the fact we've run out of time. <laughs> it goes fast. We'll have to get you back. So thank you to our listeners. Haerera, kakite anō. This program was brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day.